It's good for us to join together in the public worship of God and it is uh, good for, for me to be to join with you again uh, and to be uh, to be present with you as we give praise and thanks unto our God. So let's uh, sing in Psalm uh, 32 and we shall sing in the sing Psalms singing from the beginning to uh, verse uh, marked uh, 5 How blessed the one who has received forgiveness for his sins whose sins are covered from God's face whose debt is cancelled uh, in God's grace there's no deceit in him verses 1 to 5 <coughs> Let us join together in prayer. Lord, how wonderful are these words which we have sung. You pardoned all my sin. Granted that would be true of each one of us here. That we would know the full forgiveness of our sins. And if we have come into this place not having made our peace with God 
and not knowing the blessedness of those whose sins are forgiven. Help us that this very morning that we would know the joy and the wonder and the blessedness of sins forgiven. And we thank Thee that it is through the cross of Christ and through that great and glorious sacrifice made there that we approach Thee and that we are assured of the forgiveness of sins. We thank Thee for that cry on the cross, it is finished. We bless Thee for the veil in the temple torn from the top to the bottom. We thank Thee for the perfection of the work of Christ. We thank Thee that we come not on our own merits, but pleading His merits, rejoicing in His righteousness, which is ours through faith. And we pray that as we come, that we would come confessing our sins, not like the psalmist, experiencing a great uh, disturbance in his, in his own soul because he refused to confess. But help us, O Lord, that we would come confessing our need of Thee, our sins, our failures, our weakness, our proneness to temptation, how easily we stray and err. Lord, we come seeking that we would be cleansed from these things and that the Spirit would uh, renew a right heart within us to seek God, to trust in Thee and to keep close accounts with our God. We pray for a blessing upon each one of us here. We are well known unto Thee. There is nothing which is hidden from Thee. And we thank Thee that in our need and weakness, in our weariness, in our concerns, that all these things uh, can be cast upon Thee. For Thou dost invite us who are burdened to cast these burdens upon the Lord. We pray for a blessing to be upon all of us, uh, whether we are, are young uh, on the threshold of, of life and the life stretches ahead of us, uh, we pray that thy blessing will be upon the children here, that in their early days they would come to know and to love the Lord Jesus and to trust in the grace of God in the gospel. We pray blessing to be upon those who bear the heat and burden of the day, who have responsibilities in families, in uh, occupations, uh, in society. And we pray, Lord, for grace and strength and wisdom in the difficulties of this modern age. We pray thy blessing also to be upon those uh, who are feeling uh, the burden of the years, those who have to cope with, with illness, those who have to cope with loss and with grief, with anxieties and with troubles which cast them down in their spirit. Lord, grant that uh, the power of the Spirit would uh, attend all such, and we pray that they would be able to look unto thee, and that their faces would shine with thy light. 
and that thou wouldst give to them courage and strength for the way. We pray blessing to be upon us not only as individuals but as a congregation of thy people that we will be knit together in love for the things of God that we would support one another that we would pray for one another that we would be united in spirit we ask thy blessing to be upon uh, the pastor of this congregation his wife and family and we especially pray for Parker at this time when he is unwell that the healing hand of our God might be upon him and that he would be be encouraged to look unto thee and to wait upon the Lord. We ask thy blessing upon our community. Help us as a congregation of thy people to be a witness to the truth of God in the surrounding darkness. We ask thy blessing also to be upon the church of God throughout our land and to the very ends of the earth. We rejoice that we are one with the worshipping church of Christ throughout the world. We thank thee for places where that morning worship has already been offered unto thee. And we pray for those places where it is yet to happen. Grant that the Spirit of God would take the word of Christ and apply it to the hearts of of people. Hear us now as we uh, continue to, to wait upon thee. We ask that thou wouldst richly bless us in our time of worship and that thou wouldst give to us attentive and receptive hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let us further sing to, to God's praise uh, for this time from uh, Psalm 22. Again in sing psalms, and we shall sing verses uh, fourteen uh, to eighteen. Like water, I am emptied out, and all my bones are torn apart. My inmost being melts away, and into wax is turned my heart. And we need to remember that when we are uh, singing the psalm, we are singing about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ this is a psalm of the cross let's sing
Let us turn now to the Gospel according to John and chapter chapter 19 and we read from verse 16. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to take the place called to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on one side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfil the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. (coughs) After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. May God bless to us that reading of his own holy and most precious word. So we'll sing again, this time in Psalm 51, again in uh, Sing Psalms. So we shall sing verses uh, 5 to 8. From my birth I have been sinful, such the nature I received, sinful from my first beginning, in my mother's womb conceived. Truth you look for in my heart, wisdom to me you impart. Uh, So I am... Perhaps from verse 5, uh, which we'll, we'll sing perhaps down to, not to verse 8, but down to uh, verse 12. If that's okay. <coughs> From 
Let's just pray before we turn to God's Word. Our gracious God, we come uh, seeking that Thou wouldst speak to our hearts this day, and that Thou wouldst refresh us through Thy truth, that Thou wouldst challenge us through Thy truth, that Thou wouldst remind us of the greatness of that salvation which is ours in Christ Jesus, and the glory of Thy saving purpose. 
We pray blessing upon each one of us here, and we remember the worshipping church of Christ to the ends of the earth, and we pray that every means which is used to extend the kingdom of God would be blessed, that the strongholds of Satan would be pulled down, and that we would remind ourselves that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual and mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I'd like you to turn uh, with me to John chapter 19, to the passage which we read. And I'd like to uh, read again from verse uh, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfil the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And in particular, these words, It is finished. Now, in the original language, the three words in English, it is finished, are one word. And surely never has one word been sweeter uh, to anyone who is troubled in conscience. Anyone who is concerned about his or her eternal destiny. Someone who fears condemnation for sin. This is a really precious and powerful word. If we are awake at night because we, we know that in the past that our lives have, have been, we've done shocking things in the past. But if we try in, in vain to, to banish thoughts of judgment and of having to give an account unto God of the lives that we are living if so this word is something which is for you today God is speaking to us in this one almighty word it is finished it has been achieved it's fulfilled it's done it's over we talk about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we think about this in a little bit more depth just now, that it brings great deliverance, it brings great assurance, uh, it brings the thrill, the joy of salvation to our hearts. So I'm going to look at this uh, statement, it is finished, under uh, three headings. A statement of fact, an expression of triumph, uh, and an expression also of satisfaction. So, statement of fact, an expression of satisfaction, and a cry of triumph. So the first and very obvious question is, well, what is finished? It is finished, well, what is the it what was finished and I'm going to suggest a number of possible uh, answers to that question what was finished 
Well, firstly, the sufferings of Jesus were finished. Now, it is true that the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was not over, because he yet had to be uh, the three days in in the tomb under the, the power of death until his resurrection on the third day. But the sufferings of his body and soul were on the cross uh, were over. They climaxed on the cross and they were finished on the cross. Never again would Jesus have to endure the the 40 days uh, of hunger and of temptation in the wilderness. Uh, Never again would he sweat great drops of blood as he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Never again would he have a fake crown of thorns pressed into his head. Never again would his back be torn by the, by the scourge. Never again would he have the nails hammered into his hands and, and his feet. Never again would he endure the mockery of the cross and the shame and disgrace of hanging there naked as a criminal. Never again would the darkness enter into a soul as it did on the cross. Never again would he become a curse for us. Never again would he endure that spiritual agony and darkness and desolation which culminated in the, in, in the great cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ were finished. But when we say, well, that's the, the answer to the question, we're, we're, not, really, uh, we're, we're not, not really entering into the, the fullness of that, uh, of that cry, it is finished. It's not just the sufferings that were over. Another possibility is that the messianic prophecies and types of the Old Testament had been completely filled uh, in the the sufferings of Christ uh, on the cross. He came to fulfil loads of the the prophecies which are found in the Old Testament. For example, one is that one would come from Bethlehem Ephrata who would be a ruler in Israel and whose origin is from old, from ancient days, literally from the days of eternity. And Pilate uh, wrote the, the mocking inscription which we, we have here, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, Little did he think that he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, but he was. And the whole experience of the cross gathers together so many of these Old Testament prophecies. Jesus came to fulfill Moses' prophecy too, that the Lord would raise up for them a prophet like himself. His divine mission uh, is uh, painted in wonderfully detailed 
uh, pictured in the 53rd prophecy, uh, chapter of the prophecy of, of Isaiah. And it's also pictured in, say, Psalm 40. Uh, for example, I de- desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. And in, we've got this idea in, also in Isaiah chapter 53, which says, As a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. Uh, this is picked up, of course, by, uh, partly by John the Baptist, who describes him as the, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we ask the question, why was it then that he was dumb? Why was it he didn't open his mouth? It was because he was taking uh, the, the guilt uh, of his people. He was standing in their place. He was as their, their representative, as the, uh, as the one who uh, was the, the scapegoat. He was taking their sins. And he was uh, being responsible for all their sins. He would speak no word of self-defense because he could not, because he had become the guilty one uh, as a result of being our substitute taking our place. So we see that in all these types and symbols and, uh, and in all these prophecies, Jesus uh, is the Jesus was painting a picture, or God was painting a picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus would be doing on the cross. Uh, Christ is the our Passover, who has been sacrificed for us. And the, the great thing is that all these types and symbols they teach us about Jesus, but we do not have the restrictions uh, in the New Testament gospel uh, times which they were in the Old Testament where they had to adhere to all these things they had to do these uh, these sacrifices to approach God and so on we come through Jesus freely because he is our great great sacrifice he is the one uh, through whom we come And when we think of all these uh, sacrifices and all these types, the cross of Christ and the saying, in fact, they they shout to us, fulfilled, completed, done, over. So far, you might think, well, we started off by by saying about, about feeling guilty, about feeling a sense of condemnation, a feeling of unworthiness, a feeling that we cannot fit to stand in the presence of God. How then does this great cry it is finished, how does it really fit my situation? Uh, You might think, well, so far uh, there's nothing here that deals with uh, my, my own fear. But the expression also means, surely, that a debt has been paid in full. Do you remember how Jesus uh, taught his disciples how to pray? And we were told to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our 
debtors. Now, there's very often a lot of transactional commercial language uh, which is, is used in Scripture. And Jesus, uh, in lots of his parables, uh, talks about, has the idea of, of debt or of owing in, in, in the parables. Now, sin creates a debt because we owe obedience to God and we fail to give that obedience to God therefore a debt is created and that debt is absolutely enormous we have to confess that daily we sin uh, against God in thought, in word and deed and we think of that the debt is absolutely enormous debt requires uh, forgiveness it needs to be it needs to be uh, it needs to be paid off uh, in the world of business it's pos- quite possible for for people to uh, write off a debt uh, just to cancel it and like that but in spiritual terms that is not possible the debt has to be paid and this is what Jesus did and the wonderful thing is that Jesus has done it to the full he's done it completely by his suffering death he has taken to himself the loss of which we should have suffered Uh, he has paid the debt that we owed to God and no matter how enormous that debt is all our debts are cancelled if we trust in Christ. It's just wonderful, wonderful news for the guilty soul, the person who needs forgiveness, the person who needs to have cancelled written for all his or her debt. There is an absolute sufficiency in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wonder if we see why it is that this uh, cry of Christ on the cross, it is finished, is so absolutely precious. The, the Greek word which lies in it behind this uh, tetelestai is a word which has been found on ancient uh, transactional documents and uh, bills, and on it is written this word, meaning paid in full. This is what Jesus has done for guilty people now another possibility is that uh, the conflict was over that the great struggle on the cross behind the cross and its darkness lay uh, demonic uh, satanic powers Jesus uh, said of the cross that by it the prince of this world would be cast out Paul pictures uh, the Jesus as being a sort of conquering uh, hero, a sort of conquering general who was leading in triumph uh, the powers of darkness. Because this is what happened in, in, in Roman times, that uh, uh, some general would go and would, uh, would engage with a... Tribes would be on the, on the outskirts of the, the Roman Empire, 
and if the if these tribes are defeated then the the king or, or leader or general of that, that tribe would be uh, would be taken to Rome and paraded through Rome in, in triumph and the, the general would be fettered with all sorts of uh, praise and all sorts of honours. That's a picture which lies behind the triumph of the cross in terms of the conflict which was over. Now the, this is something which, again, goes right back to the beginning of Scripture. It goes right back to Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 15. Uh, Ian Hamilton, uh, editor of the Banner of Truth and someone who I think has preached here, uh, he is uh, fond of, of, of speaking of that, of that verse in which uh, the, the head uh, of Satan is crushed by the seed of the woman and he calls Jesus the serpent crusher and that's what happened here Jesus is saying it is finished in the sense of the conflict is over I have won the victory and then if you think about uh, about it um, I have finished the work which you give me to do. This is one something that Jesus said in chapter 17. So uh, this word finished occurs in chapter seven, uh, 17. It occurs also in, in verse 28 and then in the verse that we are considering together. This idea of finishing is something which is building up. Up to chapter 17, Jesus had offered obedience to God. And that was in the, in the place of the disobedience which occurred uh, at the beginning of human history with Adam and, uh, and Eve. So you've got uh, perhaps a prophetic anticipation there. Jesus finished the work because he, Jesus had up to that point been obedient to God. And now he was looking forward uh, to the, the cross. And your will be done of the Gethsemane has now become your will has been done because Christ went through this the agony and the, uh, and the anguish of the garden of Gethsemane and now that uh, and of course the, the anguish was because of the prospect of the cross which was before him now that anguish is all behind. And this, of course, was a constant goal of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that his food was to do the will of him who sent him and to accomplish his work. So the work, of course, is the work of salvation, of delivering us from sin and its consequences bringing us into fellowship with God so that we know him and the joy of salvation. And then we can look at the, the second of these things, which is an expression of satisfaction. Uh, before COVID, I used to go to uh, an art class and 
for a number of years. And when I went there, first of all, one of the things which the which they said and which I picked up very quickly from others was that uh, if you're doing a painting, uh, one way of ruining it is to do too much to it, never to be satisfied with it, and always adding this bit and that thing and overworking it. And the advice was, do your painting and then put your signature to it. And that's your painting finished. Don't go back to it and, and make a mess of it by overworking it. Now, here, of course, that is impossible because the work was perfect, as we have seen. But the, the cry here, it is finished, is surely an indication that Jesus was satisfied with the work which he had done. It was prophesied by, by Isaiah, He shall see of the anguish of a soul and shall be satisfied. Now, if Jesus is satisfied with, the, with his work and makes this great cry at the, the climax uh, of his, and end of his sufferings, should we not also be satisfied with what Christ has done on the cross? Now this is an important consideration if we think that we can contribute anything to our salvation. If we think about society in general, people think at all about, about heaven and how they're going to, to get there. The view is that, well, you'll get there because they've been good parents uh, or because they've contributed to something to society or because uh, perhaps they've, they've prayed and they, they've read their Bibles. 2017 was the 500th anniversary uh, of the of Luther nailing his 95 Thesis uh, on the castle church door uh, in, in Wittenberg in, in Germany and uh, creating the impetus for the, for the Reformation. And what was Luther's great concern? His great concern was that we should see all human religious efforts as in themselves uh, vain and correspondingly that the only thing that really was of any avail was what Christ had done for us by his death, by his sufferings on the cross. The idea was that it's not what we do that saves us. It is what Christ has done which saves us. So if we perhaps say, well, okay, yes, I, I believe in Christ, I believe in what Jesus has done for us, but I've also got to live a good life, I've got to do this and I've got to do that in order to be accepted by God. That is virtually saying that what Christ has done is not enough. It wasn't finished and completed and perfect. What's lacking in the, the work of Christ that we make it the sole thing that guarantees our acceptance with God. What is it that we can offer by way of substitute? All our religious actions, all our moral behaviour, 
uh, is imperfect. Our hearts are sinful. Therefore, what comes out of them is sinful. That's the source. And it's polluted. And nothing that comes from it can escape that pollution. Yes, we can uh, be more civilised. We can be more polite. uh, We can uh, cover things up. We can... uh, we can restrict the, the, the evil and the wickedness uh, in, in society by, by laws and legislation and so on. And all of that is good. But it doesn't gain us acceptance with a God who is holy and perfect and utterly righteous. Our only hope is to be accepted by God on the basis of the perfection of what Jesus has done for us. And I think, too, it's an important consideration for those who are held back by a sense of unworthiness. There are people who, for example, won't uh, join with the, the, the people of God in, in open uh, prayer together. Uh, there are those who uh, won't, put, won't go forward to ask for admission to, to the Lord's table because of the idea of their own unworthiness. Now, they're quite right in the sense that they are unworthy. We don't realise just how unworthy we, we actually are. Salvation is by grace. And grace means the, the free, undeserved kindness of God uh, to those who are Wretched and unworthy. That's the gospel. Jesus came uh, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, he was the, uh, the physician uh, for those who were unwell. He didn't come for, to think for those who thought that they didn't, didn't need him. They didn't need healing. They didn't need say, spiritual cleansing. Salvation is by grace. And to feel that we are worthy would be to deny grace. So the idea of unworthiness is something which is, is something which is fitting for us. We should all feel that we are unworthy. The gospel also contains an antidote to our unworthiness, and that is the worthiness of Christ himself. The divine stamp of approval is on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, as God, was satisfied with what he had done. And you think about the the resurrection when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was declared to be the, be the Son of God with power by that resurrection. As, as it were, uh, God was uh, adding his signature to it. He was declaring that this was the authentic saviour of sinners. The Father has given to Christ uh, an eternal seat of glory in heaven. All authority in heaven and earth is his. And whatever you think uh, 
think of your un- wherever you think of your unworthiness, what we should do is to think of the worthiness of Christ. Say to yourself, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. His worthiness infinitely exceeds our unworthiness. And it's an important consideration too for those who fear that they are lost and under uh, condemnation. This is what God is offering to you. A perfect saviour. The one who suffered condemnation uh, so that we might be acquitted. The one who became guilty that we might be declared innocent. And the one uh, who became a curse that we would know eternal blessing and glory. So let our anxiety about these things, our concerns about these things, drive us to Christ. He will show us his hands and his feet and his wounded side. He will tell of the anguish which he endured for us on that cross. But he will also tell us of this cry, it is finished, completed, done, is over. And if you say from your heart with with Thomas, my Lord and my God, then your sins and your guilt and your anxiety over eternity will be finished as well too. For every believer, he has made an end of sin. And it's every sin, all our sins, no sin excluded. And then finally, and much more briefly, it's a cry of triumph. Why was it Paul said that, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Was it not because the cross was an absolutely amazing achievement? To the world, the the cross was an abject uh, end to a heroic failure of uh, an amazing prophet. But the preaching of the cross was to the Greeks foolishness and to the, the Jews it was offensive. But to believers, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is the, is the power of God unto salvation. It is a triumph of God through weakness and through suffering. Now, there's no room for defeatism in the, in the Christian uh, life. Because Jesus has conquered through the blood of his cross, he shall reign. There is plenty uh, to weary us in his life. There's plenty to dismay us in his life. There's plenty to try us in his life. But there is nothing to cause us to despair of the cause of Christ in this world. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is the outlook of the believer. Well, how can that be? It is because by faith we are united and united eternally to the hyper-conqueror himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already triumphed. He has already been glorified. And so uh, we simply simply await the fulfilment of that 
in our own experience through him. So we are not to grow weary in well-doing. We are not to let the the knees sag, uh, our spirits droop. Instead, we are to join Christ in his triumph on the cross through faith. And we are to celebrate the completeness of the triumph of the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished. We are told by by Paul in, in Romans, he shall bruise Satan under our feet shortly. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Paul's great cry in that wonderful chapter 15 or 1 Corinthians, that chapter about the resurrection. We have a triumphant faith. Let us not be discouraged, but let us rejoice in the Saviour who cried it finished let's pray again our gracious God we give thanks that we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ we rejoice in that great cry it is finished and we pray that thou would help us that we would understand for ourselves the significance of that cry that we would think about it that we would mull it over in our minds that we would reflect upon it in the peace and quiet of this Lord's Day. Help us that we would love the Saviour who suffered so much and who obeyed and who achieved on that cross that which was utterly impossible for us. We thank thee for the depths of the love of God And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Help us, therefore, to worship thee with gladness of heart, to sense the the wonder of that uh, triumph, and to be Christians uh, who serve thee with gladness. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let us uh, conclude by singing in uh, Psalm uh, 24, and this one has to do with the with the with the triumph of Christ. Psalm 24 at the end, which speaks of uh, really of the uh, of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and his welcome into to glory. Now I'm not sure which version we have up. Yes, I think it's the. It's up on the screen anyway. Your ancient gates lift up your heads, your doors be opened wide. So may the King of glory come forever to abide.
we give to thee all praise and worship as the exalted King. And now may grace, mercy and truth from Father, Son and Holy Spirit be ours this day.